0: The National Archives podcast series. Every journey has two ends. Using Passenger Lists, presented by Chris Watts. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's time to set sail. (laughs) You all recognise the Blue Peter, of course. (laughs) I've started with that map just to remind ourselves that there was a time in history when the sun never set on the British Empire. It was a time, of course, when the only only way you had available to you to get to the various parts of the British Empire was by ship. Lengthy journey, but that was what it was, and, of course, to come back. So the records that relate to... um, Shipping is important for us in a whole variety of ways in our uh, various researches. Now, those of us who are interested in an individual ancestor have a temptation to think in one of two ways. For people living in this part of the world, I would suggest we tend to have an old world view. We think of our ancestors who emigrated Quite often, we don't know to where and we don't know when. They fell off the flat earth. Where did they go to? And there were lots of possibilities. The five most popular you can see listed there and graphed there over the years. Um, <coughs> kindness of Find uh, My Past, um, who've looked at the outgoing passenger lists. And. Our research the thoughts, if we have an old world view, tend to toward, turn towards the departure records, outgoing passenger lists, emigration schemes, passport records. But those from the New World, from Australia, New Zealand, the US, from Canada, they think of their ancestors as being immigrants. But again, they quite often don't know wh- from where or when. Now, people with a new worldview of, uh, of that, their research thoughts tend towards the arrival records, uh, arriving passenger lists um, and associated records, immigration schemes and naturalisation records being just a few. I would suggest, though, it's much more beneficial to take a whole worldview, consider our ancestors as migrants. And consider both the departure and arrival records, and a a range of those that we're going to be looking at. Now the records may contain differing information, additional information, clarifying information, sometimes conflicting information. But remember, departing records, particularly from the UK, were concerned with, was the ship overloaded? Had it got enough lifeboats? Well, we won't dwell on the Titanic and that's a problem. Um, was there enough uh, space? Was there enough food? That's the sort of things that they were concerned with. <laughs> the passenger lists at the arriving end were interested in the age, marital status, occupation, and basically the fitness of that person to work and support themselves. So it's not surprising that the two sets of information are different uh, and are... Um, Uh, tend to uh, support each other and finding one may help the other some records are indexed or digitised as you'll see in some of the examples uh, (coughs) uh, I've been able to find out departure records from the UK and I've got a precise date of the ship leaving the arrival records in Australia or New Zealand for instance are arranged by date nothing else They're not indexed, Um, so quite often you've got to search uh, to find the particular records in there. You've got to employ somebody. They've got to do quite a lot of work. With the information you can get from the departing records, you can find out exactly when it arrived, uh, where it arrived, uh, and uh, uh, you can just write off simply for a photocopy of it. No research needed. So I would suggest and encourage you to look both at the arrival and the departure records. And there are a range of them. Passenger lists are the ones which first come to mind. um, And also ship's movement details are particularly important as they will assist you in locating where the ship went and uh, also when it arrived. The sources, though, you have to remember are incomplete. They are not all readily accessible, so you won't necessarily find them online. Uh, Some of them you might even find filmed. Uh, The range that are incompletely indexed, uh, we'll see for instance a lot of arrival records into New Zealand um, are indexed on cards. But they don't include people coming from Australia. Um, And that can be a problem uh, in a number of circumstances. And they're not always conveniently arranged. So, I'd like to have a look at a number of examples, depending on how the time goes. We'll see how many we can, uh, we can fit in. Let's first of all look at the story of the Smither family. Arthur John Reeve Smither, he was born in 1884 in Brighton, uh, and his wife Kathleen Agnes, who was born in Dublin. Uh, they had a daughter, Kathleen Mary Adelaide Smither, Well, that looks interesting. We'll see in a moment. And she was born supposedly on 2nd November 1906 in Wellington in New Zealand, but her birth is not recorded in New Zealand births. The father, we discover, joined the police at Mount Cook, just outside Wellington, on the 28th of August 1907. So we've placed him firmly in New Zealand at that date. And the family, in fact, had settled near Christchurch in the South Island of New Zealand by July 1908. So let's have a look in the outward passenger lists for findmypast.com, and available here, of course, as they were indexed and scanned in conjunction with the National Archives. And we put in the name Smitho. Let's put a span of, of uh, dates on there and see what comes up. Well, there's a number of them. There's an A.J. Smither. That's possible, but he's only going to Australia. Hmm. Doubtful. And there's a Kate Smither. She's going to New Zealand, same year. Well, there are some possibilities. Let's explore, first of all, the passenger lists for Kate. Well, when we call those up, we find... But Kate Smith is listed on the Outward Passenger List, departing Liverpool on the 14th of September 1906. She's aged 22 years, she is married, and she's seemingly travelling alone. Um, It's interesting to note on here, you can't see that particular bit, but she was going steerage class. And she was contracted to land at Wellington. Now, what about finding the arrival dates? Well, there are a lot of possibilities. We could look at the legal definition of the time taken. We can calculate it by looking for the return voyage uh, using TNA's uh, catalogue and SPEETE 26. But the two I want to uh, particularly focus on are going to be local shipping indexes and Lloyd's list and its index. Not Lloyd's register, Lloyd's list. And, of course, the logbook of the ship. Well, it, a search on Google. Google is really is our friend for a lot of these uh, things to, to locate particular records online. We'll find that that particular ship, the Dorset, uh, actually arrived in Auckland on the 20th of November 1906, and it tells us there that it made a stopover in Cape Town in South Africa. So we've pieced together a little bit more information, and we can write off with that information to Archives New Zealand and see whether they can locate the crew list. And they tell us that um, there is something for Auckland, but nothing for Wellington. Now that, as it happens, is not unusual. And if we look at the inward passenger list for Auckland, we will find a K. Smithers located there. So we've got her at both ends. But despite what I've said, the arriving passenger list isn't telling us much more in terms of information. But every journey doesn't just have two ends, it has a middle. Well, in most cases. So let's have a look at Lloyd's List. Lloyd's List is a virtually daily newspaper which has uh, details of shipping movements worldwide. It has a lot more besides. Um, good collections of it at the Guildhall Library in London and at the National Maritime Museum in Greenwich. Uh, There are indexes to that at two or three places um, which literally list every possible ship year by year. Look down the left hand side, it gives the name of the various ships, whether it was a steamer or whatever, and lots of other information to the right hand edge. In this particular uh, one for the uh, Dorset of London, and we'll see a list of places together with dates against them. Let us see if we can pick out the ones for the particular voyage that we're interested in. And we find here that it sailed from Liverpool, Las Palmas, uh, Table Bay, uh, Adelaide, Melbourne, Sydney, and Auckland. And the references it gives here are actually the references to pages in <coughs> Uh, Lloyd's List not at this date the specific dates of arrival but they are usually within a day or two and you can always go and look at the uh, newspaper itself let's look at the bit for table uh, Bay and that particular one tells us that the Dorset arrived on the 9th of October 1906 and departed on the 11th and we can look all of them up and find the dates of arrival and departure at every one of the ports um, en route. That gives us the possibility of going and looking at the various passenger arrival and departure records at each of the ports en route. Some are good and easy to find, some don't exist, uh, or very few. There are very few for South Africa, so the one for Table Bay and Cape Town, I'm afraid, no luck. We can go and have a look and see if there's one for the inward passenger list for Adelaide. That was the next uh, port of call. Um, unfortunately, those are only including the disembarking passengers. Fair enough. Let's move on to Melbourne and Victoria. Well, their inward passenger lists do include people who are going on. So we find Kate Smithers listed there. And the Dorset goes on to Wellington where Kate had bought a ticket... But the child, her daughter, isn't listed. Okay. We'll find out why in a moment. And we can then get a copy of the passenger list and we find that Kate Smither, age 22, um, married, uh, Irish, was indeed on board. We can then go and see whether there's an outward passenger list for Melbourne. See if that tells us anything more. Well, I'm afraid the master of the ship was a little lazy. All he's listed, he says, 275 and a half through passengers as per inward list. If you wonder how the half is, you remember that I was mentioning uh, that it was related to provisions and uh, safety equipment and the like. Uh, Children under a certain age were considered to be half a statute adult. So the half is at least one child. We can go on to the next port, and that was Sydney. Um, well, hmm. I'll forgive them on this occasion for that indexing when, as, as you'll see the, uh, um, uh, the actual passenger list itself um, but those are now on Ancestry and we'll see well you can understand and forgive them for coming up with that as a rack but it is actually Kate but again no more information on that one I'm afraid and the outward passenger list, uh, again, which we could get because we knew all the departure and arrival information. Just get a photocopy from the um, uh, archives office in New South Wales. OK, we've found the wife. But what about the husband? A.J. Smitha. Hmm. Well, if we look at the passenger list for him, we'll find he's there. Notice his wife went out steerage and he went out cabin. So it um, um, says something about the times, doesn't it? And the Orontes, Mr. A.J.R. Smither is listed on the Outward Passenger List, departing London on the 18th of May 1906. He's aged 40 years and he's contracted to land at Sydney. And if we look at Lloyd's List Index, we'll find the details of the uh, places at which it called and we can look those up. Uh, If anybody's curious what PRM is, there's a list of all these ports, and most of them are fairly obvious. It took me quite a while to find that one. It's a place called Perim, which I'd be very surprised if there's anybody in the audience that knows it. It's at the end of the Suez Canal. It's an, an island of approximately one square mile, which was used as a coaling station. No longer in use, needless to say. And you can look all of those up. Uh, on in Lloyd's list itself and you can find out the ports at which it called uh, going all the way round to Sydney where uh, AJ Smither got off but the ship went on to Brisbane. We can now start looking at the various passenger lists and see what they're going to tell us. Well Fremantle does have him listed. The outward passenger list for, only has the boarding passengers. When it comes to Adelaide the inward passenger list only includes the disembarking passengers. When we get to Victoria, which is a particularly good set, there he is listed, and the Orontes goes on to Sydney, where uh, to where Arthur had bought a ticket. And sure enough, if we look at the inward passenger uh, sorry the inward passenger list for Melbourne confirms that. If we go and look at what, uh, any of the sites which tell us about the ship itself. We find that the Orontes the steamer arrives on the 30th of June 1906. And we could look on Ancestry for the inward passenger list. Um, I think we have to use our imagination on that. London via Melbourne. And on the inward passenger list for Sydney, sure enough, Mr. A.J. Smither is listed. But did he go on to New Zealand? because it was quite common for people going to New Zealand to uh, actually get a ship to Sydney and then change ships and go on another one off to New Zealand. (laughs) If we look in the... uh, There's some newspapers that are being indexed uh, by the National Library in New Zealand, and this tells us that on July the 11th, the Monawai um, arrived in the port of Wellington, and amongst his passengers was a Mr Smithers. Sounds hopeful we look for the inward passenger lists for uh, the Monowai, which of course his name is not included in because he boarded the ship in Australia. And the New New Zealanders have only indexed those coming from further afield. But sure enough, he's there. His initials are right. He's lost 10 years in Sydney. (laughs) Well, it's a lively place. And uh, his place or nationality says TAS, which I would have interpreted as Tasmania, but uh, I think not. If we look at the outward passenger list, it doesn't tell us much more apart from the fact that he actually uh, shared a cabin with a Mr. Ramage. But what about their daughter? We've got the, the two of them, but what about the daughter? She was born en route. And if we look in the Marine Register book of births for Melbourne, we will find, in fact, she was born uh, on board the ship between Adelaide and Melbourne, which accounts for one of her names. And that you can find in those. You can also, if you call up the logbook, which we've got here, uh, you'll find uh, a record of it there as well, and details of the... um, uh, difficulties of the birth are recorded in the logbook as well. Well, we found the family emigrating to New Zealand. End of story. They got on a ship, they went to New Zealand. Bye-bye. That's the last we see of them. Oh, no. The number of these that I've looked at, with that presumption that they've gone there, you're never going to see them again, There are an enormous number of them seem to be coming back again. And if you look again in the my pasts, Uh, List you'll find the whole family plus one other who happens to be the um, A.J. uh, Smithers' mother going out to New Zealand in 1923. So they must have come back. And in fact, if you look closely, you'll find that his mother went out to New Zealand in 1921, came back in 1922. The family... Return to England in 1923, the younger members of the family, that is. And then the passengers, they then, uh, the whole lot of the family, go back in 1923. You know, I mentioned about the, f- the, f- the father went cabin class and the mother went steerage. And the wife went steerage. Uh, when they w- came home, um, they both went on separate ships for, for, for some reason. Same thing happened. He went cabin class and she went steerage. Um, I haven't checked to see what they did on the uh, uh, on the outward uh, um, journey when the whole family was there. And the inward passenger list in Auckland will give us details of there, his occupation, uh, what his birthplace was, uh, where uh, he intended to live. As it was a New Zealand shipping company ship, uh, there are records of those as well and the, there are quite often printed lists of the passengers which, we, which are actually given to them on board um, so you can find a whole family on the last voyage there. Well that's not the last of them but that has, has would need to be a, a talk of yes an, a, another, uh, another talk I think. So let's have a look. That's an emigration scheme a family emigrating, but not always. The sea is supposed to be a romantic place. We hear about romances at sea. Well, in one case, it certainly uh, it certainly was. Uh, that was how my parents met. My father was a naval architect with the p the Peninsular Oriental Steam Navigation Company, and supposedly the. Uh, they met on board a ship on a cruise. And in fact, if you put my father's name, Thomas Watts, uh, into the findmapass.com index to BT27, his name comes up in 1932 on a trip uh, to Marseille. And sure enough, you can, you'll find him there. Uh, he's an assistant, the naval architect. If you look at These are Lloyd's Voyage record cards. They're they're a continuation of the index uh, to um, Lloyd's List. Uh, And these, in fact, most usefully actually give uh, not just references to Lloyd's List, but they do actually give um, uh, departure and arrival dates. Um, Those, again, are available at the Guildhall Library, though you do have to ask in advance uh, for those. And we'll find, in fact... That at the time concerned, the ship that he was on, the Carthage, uh, had just been launched. It was on his maiden voyage. And as a naval architect, we presume that he was on board to try and help sort out the inevitable problems that arise on the maiden voyage of any ship. If we look at the Ancestry's Index to um, um, uh, BT26, you'll find that Thomas Watts uh, did in fact Um, uh, return. Um, You need to be a little bit cautious on these. Port of departure, Brisbane. Hmm. That is where the ship departed from. Because if you remember BT26 and BT27 only uh, relate to ships whose voyage starts or terminates at ports outside Europe and the Mediterranean. So he actually got on in Marseille. And if you look at the passenger list itself, you'll find that he is listed there. But that doesn't uh, happen to be the voyage on which he met my mother. Let's have a look. Her name was Haman. Very uncommon, that's spelt that, that way. Um, and let's put passengers travelling on the same voyage... Uh, let's put Watts, let's put Thomas in there. Um, it's got to have variants because it's likely to be Tom. Um, put 1920 to 1939 and see what comes up. Well, we find, indeed, she does come up with her sister. The two of them, very adventurous for two young ladies at that date, were going on holiday to Tangier. Now, let's switch the names around in the indexes and see what happens then. And sure enough, we find Thomas Watts. He was on another voyage to Marseille. Now, what the ship was, well, we can check those out by looking in BT26 to see what ships uh, came back um, uh, with uh, uh, the p from Marseille during the relevant time period. Only half a dozen, so we can try all of them out in the indexes. And one of them comes up trumps, And we'll find that Sybil Heyman, female, on the ship Rajputana, travelling with... Well, that's a slight misnomer. She was on the same ship as... um, That doesn't mean actually travelling with, in that uh, sense, Thomas Watts. And we can now have a look. Uh, Oh, note, of course, that he's travelling to Marseille and they're travelling to Tangier. Uh, We can now check out the departing passenger list and we'll find... Uh, all three of them listed there. Um, if we look at the passenger uh, lists for com- coming back, we'll find that the two Heyman sisters came back on a ship which set a sail from Yokohama. They actually got on it in Gibraltar, um, and it's the SS Pindi, um, and we can find out the details from that. Um, we weren't able to locate which ship uh, my father actually came back on. It wasn't the same one. Uh, and we can check, uh, looking in Lloyd's record uh, cards, um, each of the ports that they called at and the date. On the outward-going one, you'll notice, in fact, the ship doesn't call at Tangier, but for those of you who've either been there or know your geography well, uh, it's only a very short ferry ride, and, in fact, they probably went over on the ship's launch um, because the ship probably didn't actually dock at Gibraltar, it probably anchored um, <coughs> uh, outside, and they would just pop them on one of the launches and, and, and take them across to Tangier. And again, you can find the details of the returning boy. They did get married in 1935, 35, yes. Um, it wasn't the last time they went to sea. Um, they had... when they, My father retired. They went on a retirement cruise, um, and... They went round the world. Unfortunately, the outward passenger lists uh, haven't been kept after 1960 here, um, but we can tell they found the itinerary from Lloyd's record cards. And the Australians have kept theirs, and one of the ports they called in was Fremantle. Um, so you can see those. Regrettably, though, they only include the disembarking passengers. But you can't have everything. Let's have a look at the one for a John Stoker-Watts, a cousin of mine. Uh, he emigrated to Maritime Canada in the early 19th century. Now, the Association of Professional Engineers of Nova Scotia tells us a number of dates and places that he was at. And if we check out some of those dates, uh, with the, the passenger lists departing from the UK... <coughs> Uh, with ancestors on board. We'll find John Watts, 1902, going to Canada. This one turns up with a John S. Watts, going to Halifax. Good possibility. We find the ship, the Bavarian. And sure enough, there's a John S. Watts, age 21, which would be right. He was in the column for single adults. And uh, his occupation is dittoed down as laborer. Well, that doesn't fit. But dittos are always a dangerous thing. Okay, all is not lost. Let's have a look and see if there's an arriving passenger list in Canada. name of the ship we know is the Bavarian. It arrived in 1902. It arrived at Halifax. And if we look at the website for Library and Archives Canada, you'll find that there are two uh, two voyages for the Bavarian arriving in in 1902 and the last one of those listed is the correct one Um, you can now go uh, they're now available and indexed in fact um, on Ancestry so you can go and have a look there if you either have a subscription um, or you operate their pay per view Um, but you can actually look at the passenger list for free on the Library and Archives Canada website and sure enough, you will find an entry there. You'll find he is listed as an engineer, and he's born in County Durham. So now we've effectively um, confirmed quite, ha- quite happily that it is the right person. It's sensible to go on and look at uh, some local records, and the 1911 census for New Glasgow, Nova Scotia, where he was actually living, does have an entry for the particular family, uh, and listed on there, you have to look very, very carefully, is the date of arrival in Canada, and it does actually say 1902. It's supporting information which somebody else has added to that. So piecing these things together like that is an important issue. Let's have a look at another one going to Canada, and this is a Sylvan Cater Heyman. He was born on the 7th of August 1903 in Yorkshire, moved to Canada in about 1957. And he died in 1963 in Toronto in Ontario. Now his death certificate, his full death certificate, shows us amongst other things that he had been six years in Ontario, um, six years in Canada. that qualified him, if he so wished to, to take out Canadian citizenship, um, which he did choose to do. Well, the Canadians have a, an Access to Information Act, rather similar to our Freedom of Information Act. It does have one little catch with it. You have to be a Canadian citizen, permanent resident, or under other individual present in Canada, or a corporation present in Canada, to be able to make use of it. So you'll need to find a Canadian friend to put in the request. But it won't bankrupt them, because the charge is normally five Canadian dollars. And sure enough, a request put in. Um, oh, I should have said you could always take a, take a holiday to Canada and just put in the request while you're there because that would make you president in Canada. That's perhaps a, a more pleasant option. Um, they found his a certificate of application for citizenship. Um, and you notice he said he came into Montreal. Well, <laughs> most people coming into Montreal uh, actually pass through immigration in Quebec. So watch out for that if you have people coming into Canada. He came in on the Empress of Britain on the 13th of June 1957. Um, Citizenship and uh, Immigration Canada were unable to locate a landing record. But that's pretty specific. And what it does is it enables us to locate very easily the outward passenger list from the UK, which gives his precise address. Now, he was quite a traveller. Uh, He went twice to Canada and once to the Cape of Good Hope uh, in a party of students. I'll just be concentrating on the two trips to Montreal as a student, as a young man. In the first, uh, if you look in ancestors on board, you'll find he went there in 1923 and 1930. um, And it lists here, as I say, the one to uh, South Africa in 1926. The one for the student to uh, Montreal in 1923 uh, gives a precise address and age and identifies him as a student. Um, You can then, with that information, get part of the uh, uh, landing records in Canada. Uh, Most of those have been digitized, uh, the incoming passenger lists um, on Ancestry. Uh, There's one very small gap when they didn't keep passenger lists as such, as we understand them, but they had an individual sheet for each passenger. Um, Those are due to be scanned, but haven't been yet. Um, And this is the sort of sheet you get. And supposedly he went to uh, Montreal. Well, he actually went to see friends in Dauphin, Manitoba, quite a way away. And did he intend to remain permanent in Canada? uncertain, Um, so we have to keep that in mind, because we find, or we don't find, any obvious return trip for him. Okay, that could be because there aren't any passenger lists surviving, but we find, in fact, that he crossed in October 1924 into the United States. Well, it is getting to the time when the St. Lawrence would just be starting to freeze up. So maybe he didn't wish to do that. And you can look at the records for crossing into the US. And you find, indeed, he did cross in 1924. uh, And he came from Winnipeg in Manitoba, and he was going to New York City. And you'll find there is a passenger list for him coming back uh, from New York City in 1924. Well, they're not correctly indexed. The date and ship are wrong. Uh, So don't rely on transcripts. Have a look at the original record and you will find that out. Now, keep that all in mind because he goes to Montreal in 1930. And here we see a departing record for that. We can find the ship he went on. We can find the incoming passenger list. Now, these contain a lot more information. Who he's going to be with, his father's name, Gives his passport number here. And when were you last in Canada? April 1923 to October 1924. So he was a bit uncertain about how long he was going to be in Canada. He stayed there for, what, nearly 18 months. So that solves that mystery. Um, It also, as you say, gives uh, gives a passport number. And a lot of people get enthusiastic about passport records and think, oh, that's great. Let's have a look at one. This is at the time period that they aren't indexed, so um, you have to have that number to find them. And what does it tell us? It tells us that Sylvan C. Heyman in 1921, the 22nd of um, uh, June, uh, actually applied for and was granted a passport to go to France. That's all. That's all it ever tells you. Well, it may tell you, I'm not sure what these mean, I think he probably paid by check um the 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 fee but um uh, not sure on that. And we find in in fact uh on the return journey he does also seem to have crossed into um uh, the US. Now, one or two little tips and some pitfalls. Well, first of all be cautious with transcripts. We've seen how the transcripts may not always be accurate. Correlate between the various sources. Hopefully, they will confirm. Understand what the record covers. Does it include disembarking passengers or embarking passengers or all passengers? Uh, you may. The descriptions of the records may not always tell you that. Uh, you may need to examine them to uh, uh, to be sure. And be sure of the origin of the record. I'll show you an example in a moment. Now, here we are, passenger list transcripts. Somebody apparently going uh, or returning back to the UK from Cape Town. In fact, if you look at that, you'll find when you look at the passenger list, in fact, they got on in East Africa, in Mombasa. A transcript here that tells us that the passenger's destination port was Sydney in Australia and his passenger's final destination was Sydney in Australia. In fact, the passenger list tells us he was going on to New Zealand. And we've got the ongoing uh, ship's passenger list to prove that. Correlate between the sources. (coughs) In looking for the uh, Smither family, as I showed earlier on, came across... Amongst the records of departing from the UK, an E smither and an F smither. If you look at their arrival in Melbourne, we found out the ship they're on is the Themistocles, and their names were Emily and Frank. Their arrival records, we can find out when they arrived in Sydney, the 11th of January, and they went on to Queensland, and we can find their names were Frank and Emma then. And the incoming passenger lists to New South Wales tell us that. We can tell if we look at the electoral rolls that their names were Emma Bertha and uh, Frank Reginald. Um, I know it shows the um, districts different here but uh, they're intermingled by date so uh, they are the same couple. And we can confirm all that by looking at the indexes to marriages in this country um, before they departed. And we can find the outward passenger list. Now, what do the records cover? Inward passenger lists for Adelaide, for instance, seem just to include the um, arriving uh, and disembarking passengers. So be aware of that. State records in Adelaide uh, does actually have a lovely set of records described as German passengers arriving at Port Adelaide. Fantastic. I wanted to uh, compare those uh, uh, from Germany, it, it said. I thought, fantastic, I'll compare those with Hamburg passenger lists. When I compared an example, I looked and I thought, this looked very similar. The ones in Adelaide were actually a photocopy of the departing passenger lists. They were not arriving passenger lists at all. So beware. For ones going into the U.S., there's a family here that appear in the Castle Garden uh, indexes to arrivings. This is pre-Ellis Island, and there's a family here called Burton. Notice there's a lot of occupations given here. These have been scanned by uh, ancestry. Nothing wrong with those scanning. When you look at the indexes, uh, when you look at those particular records... There's only the occupation for one of them given. They must have come from different sources. A lot of investigation actually shows that there were duplicate passenger lists. The ones which Castle Garden have used have not been scanned or filmed or anything like that. Uh, unfortunately, I can't show you a copy of them because um, the um, um, National Archives in um, office in New York uh, hasn't been able to locate that particular one, but they confirm that there are uh, those records exist. Now, finally, I've been telling you a lot about Canada, the US, and Australia. But this applies, this technique of using them all together, applies um, worldwide, just depends on what records survive. And I'm going to show you one now which looks wider afield. There are records related to incoming uh, passengers into uh, Brazil. And you'll find amongst those a Helma Edmund, single, came in on the 10th of June, 1891, and she was Swedish. If you look amongst the Hamburg passenger lists for people departing from uh, Hamburg, and you'll find she's listed there. And we can look at the passenger list. And sure enough, she appears there. Helma W. Edmund, uh, aged 30. This gives her uh, uh, where she's from. Um, she's from Sweden. She's going to Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. There are Swedish immigration records uh, on Ancestry. And you'll find here uh, Swedish immigration records. And this lists her. And Delight of Delights, it gives an archive call number there. It doesn't tell you which archive. Um, And there's also a second find, which almost certainly is a copy of the Hamburg passenger list. So I took a flyer as to which particular archive had this, um, and we'll come to that in a moment. Um, But in the meantime, I looked at the Brazil immigration records for Sao Paulo online, and let me translate that for you. Um, And we'll find that Helma Edmund, single, aged 30 years, Swedish, departed from Sweden on the 10th of June 1891, entered through Rio de Janeiro. Her destination was Amparo in Sao Paulo province, which is not on the departing passenger list. And here it gives us a... um, um, details and a reference to the uh, registers of an immigrant hostel uh, in which she passed through in Sao Paulo. and uh, We were able to obtain from the uh, National Archives in Brazil the incoming passenger list at Rio. They are listed. We were able through the uh, LDS Family History Library to find the uh, immigrant Hostel, and again, uh, she is listed there. As I say, I was able to take a, a flyer at uh, which archive h- held the um, uh, Swedish records, and the Stockholm police um, do uh, have records of immigrants, um, and um, a request to uh, for a copy of those came up with this particular one, Helmer Wilma, Wilhelmina uh, Edmund, um, uh, she was a maid servant uh, born in Stockholm and she was going to Rio. And they have what they call parish registers, which give details of uh, uh, departures from the parish as well. So this procedure is not something that is just limited to uh, Anglo Saxon countries. Um, you can look at it for any part of the world for whom. Records still survive. My one message is think migrant. Thank you very much. This event was recorded live on the tenth of march two thousand nine at the National Archives Q. This podcast is copyright at the National Archives. All rights reserved.